Welcome to Season 9 of Retrain Your Brain for Success with me, psychologist Dr. Audrey Tang. This season is a special guest season where I get inspired by the ideas and innovations from well-being experts and advocates, as well as reflect with them on their experiences and how they have been able to dig deep within themselves in order to flourish. This is Dr. Audrey Tang and I wanted to offer a trigger warning before tonight's show. We cover the topics of suicide and suicidal ideation, and if you are affected, there are support links on this episode's podcast page. As my first guest says, even in your toughest moments, you always have a champion. They may be a character in a book, a news article, or even a podcast, but always reach out. I am delighted to welcome writer and actor Mark Farrelly to the show. Thank you so much for joining me, Mark. Hello, it's delightful to be here. Lovely to have you. Mark is one of my acting heroes. He is a double first class English graduate from Cambridge and both author and star of two hit solo plays, The Silence of Snow, which is the life of Patrick Hamilton and Quentin Crisp, Naked Hope, both of which I've seen, both of which are fantastic. He is currently developing Howard's End, which is exploring the life of legendary comedian Frankie Howard, as well as Jarman, which is a portrait of the artist and activist Derek Jarman. And not only does he tackle mental health issues in all his work, but he is a champion and fundraiser for many mental health causes. I was reading a recent article on the mental health of professional actors during the pandemic because theatres have been hit so hard. What has your experience been of this last year and what have you been doing to stay mentally well? I think it's been very hard for all of us, so I don't want to claim any special privileges for actors. In a way, I could almost spin it around and say um, we've had it a bit easier as actors in the sense that we are so used to breaks and gaps and disappointments and things not happening and things not working. So, uh, I mean, I certainly, when this came along, I felt pretty resilient about it. And I thought, oh, well, this is... This is just the latest thing that's that's uh, a difficulty in my part. I tried to find the positives in it. I instigated a practice which I'm still doing, which is I started ringing people up a lot more because I realised that I'd fallen into the trap of texting only. A friend of mine died in January in her early 40s. We haven't actually spoken on the phone, much less met, for the last three years. There's just been a lot of texts. And I, I decided this wasn't right. And what I do is I, I often do it, you know, if I go for a walk, um, I just randomly scroll down numbers in my phone and I, I just pick someone and I ring them up out of the blue. Do not assume uh, that people around you are going to be around forever or indeed that you are going to be around forever I mean it'd be lovely to think that we will be and let's hope that that's the case but it can't be relied upon and the metaphor that occurred to me was that your relationships with everyone in your life should resemble a stick of rock you know a stick of rock and it has yeah. that writing runs all the way through it therefore wherever you break the stick or if it does get broken it reads the same thing at any given point and I feel that, you know, with a relationship, a friendship, wherever it gets broken, if it does get broken, you want it to say the same thing and the same positive thing. The pandemic has emphasised times 10 those important life lessons that are always there anyway. One of the things that I always connect with when I watch you and 
also I was just sort of feeling that same thing when you were talking now. A lot of the the reason why I think things are so painful for us is because we love so deeply and that's never a bad thing. Now, Mark, you are no stranger to performing in the West End and you're currently touring with your your hit solo plays. Can you tell me a little bit about what you get from performing in terms of perhaps channeling so much of the emotion that you write about and that you've experienced? Well, I certainly, the, the biggest buzz I get is, is connecting with an audience, which is why all the stuff that I've written is delivered directly to the audience. I don't believe in the fourth wall in theatre, whereby you, 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 you actors pretend the audience isn't there and they talk sideways to each other and right at the end they turn around to acknowledge the audience and bow. I think that's a cul-de-sac that theatre has become trapped in uh, mm. to quite an extent. You'll notice that Shakespeare had no truck with it because so many of his characters, they walk on and say, hi, I mean, Richard III comes on and says, look what an evil swine I am and watch what I'm about to do. And in the best tradition of Panto, you become complicit in the baddies activities. So I think that's enormously important to look right into the eyes of the audience. When I was younger, I loved acting because I, I was convinced it was where you could conceal. When, when you put on the clothes, the raiment, the garb and the voice and the mannerisms and the gait and the lines of someone else, I thought, great, because I can disappear. I hide behind that or, or you know, and I'm, I'm gone. And they're laughing at, you know, Dogbury or, or Hamlet or whoever it is. And really, to my horror, as I got a bit older and, and wanted to pursue acting, I discovered that is the place where you are most vulnerable and have to reveal so much. So the, the, the thing that I initially gravitated towards as a safe haven um, turned out to be anything but. It reminds me of something that Quentin Crisp said. He said, because he, he wore makeup from the 1930s onwards, you know, he was very flamboyant about who he was and he didn't want to hide from anybody in any sense. And he said, I wear makeup to reveal, not conceal. Having watched your plays, you often choose to support causes such as mind or pride or a lot of the mental well-being causes out there. And you always talk so passionately about this. And you've certainly been through a lot of upheavals during your life. Why do you think men are so reluctant to ask for help when they're struggling? And this can just be simple struggles. You know, I'm just not coping at work. Why? Why? Do you think they feel so reluctant to reach out? You are socialised almost from uh, the cradle to behave in a certain way. Strong and tough and gallant and non-reliant. And that expressing sensitivity is a weakness. However absurd one might recognise that stuff to be. It's very, very powerful. Any, anything that you're socialised with in the first few years of your life is really hard work to undo. Because I was quite sensitive, because I liked acting, mm. uh, I, I was bullied quite relentlessly for being gay. And I'm not actually gay, but I was, I was, called, was called gay and bullied for that. And yeah, that, that, I really remember that. That went on and on and on. I like the fact that there are men and women out there, uh, and Quentin Crisp is one of them, who teach you that, that there's more than one way to be a man, and there's more than one way to be a woman. I know several men and one woman who've taken their lives, and the, the one 
common factor I can certainly give you with all of those people I knew pretty well, in some cases extremely well. One common factor was that they couldn't tell you that they were suffering. I mean, and I have worked together on issues around mental health and I did a speech for you where I talked about how I my friends take their life in the last, what is it, 12 years. Mm. Uh, I'm sorry to say a fourth person took his life last October. Oh, gosh. Uh, this is childhood friend of mine his siblings contacted me and said that Robert had taken his life um and again in line with what I've been saying about reaching out to people you know I connected with his family uh, I, I actually wrote um uh, a little essay about Robert and what he meant to me and the, the essay was addressed both to Robert and to his family and I sent it to them and I had a beautiful email from his father yes um, I went through it myself I I had, a, I had a breakdown when I was 31. I had to sort of stop being part of life for six months because I, I, I didn't feel that I fitted into it. And indeed I didn't, and I'm glad I don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely. How did you find your way? Because it is difficult when your whole environment is around you almost implying consciously and unconsciously that you need to be doing X, Y, and Z. Well, I, I cheated. What happened was suddenly at the end of that period, I, I got offered a job in the West End. So I went off and I went, oh, it's all right. I'm a success. And I went off and did that. And of course, that's a sticking plaster. And the, the sticking plaster came off again about four years later when, uh, along with being unemployed again, so many other things went wrong in my life. I sat on a sofa for two years, really, and, and I started to read people who were really meaningful and life-changing like Eckhart Tolle. Quentin Crisp was, was someone who influenced me as well. You know, mm. the man who said, if at first you don't succeed, failure may be your style. Don't get hung. It doesn't matter. Don't worry about it. The fact that you exist is a miracle. You know, the odds of being alive are one in something hundred trillion. So you're already this incredible success by being. You know, nobody promised us when, when we came in. Nobody said, you're going to have a great life. People go around, they say, life is so unfair. But please remember, nobody ever gave you a contract on day one saying it's going to be fair. Yes. Nobody gave you that. So it's not like you've been deceived. We've got a few well-intentioned lies from our parents and Walt Disney. Yes. Remarkable how many people are still clutching those promises and going, hey, I haven't been given blah, blah. And what about me? And it stops us looking for it and creating it ourselves a lot of the time. And I mean, that's that's why we talk about these issues and how people have overcome them on, on the show, because it, if nothing else, it just gives you a few tools and ideas to try for yourself, even when things look pretty awful, because we know we can come through it. And that's why I'm so grateful to have you on the show. Uh, when you were going through some of those things, is there anything that you wish someone had said or done or, or what they hadn't said or done at the time? Something I remember doing very much in, in 2013 when I was going through that, those two years of therapy. I mean, I wasn't told or asked to do this. It was just an idea I had. I wrote a letter to my 10-year-old self because I remember feeling particularly unhappy when I was 10. I was sent to a, uh, an all-boys school in Sheffield and didn't really fit in. And I, I wrote 10-year-old Mark a letter to explain what was going on and that it would be all right. In terms of other periods of my life, I suppose what I would most like to hear you know, it, it'll be all right. 
Um, because we don't know when, when we seem to be in the, the, the depths of despair, we truly become blind and deaf to what may be around the corner. So, you know, I remember when I was first making solo plays. I mean, if you had whispered in my ear, uh, you're going to perform these well over 200 times around the country. I mean, I would have just fallen over. But on the other hand, perhaps not not knowing that is what is what drives you forward. So in, in a way, we don't want the grand scriptwriter of life to reveal the upcoming plot twists. Good point. Um, but you do sometimes need somebody to say it's it may be many things, but it will be okay. I believe six years to this day, um, my mum had a stroke oh. and I rushed up. Sheffield to see her in hospital and, and my mum you know a very um, contained assured lady somebody who sees part of being a mother as being disguising any pain or suffering from your children uh, I, I, I try to persuade her not to do that but that's that's how she interprets the remiss of motherhood and I think many many others do but on this occasion disguise was futile because I went into the hospital and she turned around in the bed and she looked like she'd been beaten up by the heavyweight boxing champion. You know, she was bruised and battered. I mean, she'd had a fall at home. She'd fallen out of hospital. You know, if anyone in my life has been someone who's actually been that person and said it will be all right, it's her. I mean, when I was going through my biggest crisis, I did think about quitting acting and I went to her because I thought that she might kind of comfort me and say yes I understand it's hurting you let's let's find you something nicer to do and she actually said to me um her advice was find a stage get on it and act oh. <laughs> and that was in a way that was a kind of catalyst for writing my own stuff but but back to her when she was in hospital the Hallamsh hospital in Sheffield possibly the first time I've ever seen it there was real fear in her eyes mm. and she didn't say hello. She didn't say, how are you? She just looked, not at me, she looked into me. Mm. And she said, I can't see a way through this, Mark. And I said to her, it's there. You just can't see it at the moment. And then she held my hand. And that, I think that's, that's, that's always the advice uh, that, that we want to hear. And sometimes if we're really to aspire to true personhood, we have to learn to be the person who says that to ourselves. If you don't have someone who is championing you, what else could you do or what else have you done that works to get you back on track? Well, there's, there's always someone who will champion I mean, so, for example, Quentin Crisp was that for me, that, you know, his, his advice with things like discover who you are and be it like mad. I thought, OK, this guy's on my side. So it might it might be a dead writer. <laughs> uh, it might be a living writer. Uh, it might be um, a, an episode of your favourite sitcom somehow. Um, it might be someone you haven't picked up the phone to for years. Sometimes you have to go first and you have to go, um, I'm struggling, I'm hurting, I'm frightened, I'm unsure. And 99 times out of 100, the person will be delighted to hear from you, delighted to be privileged 
that you went to them. It does take some courage, but as the saying goes, everything you want is on the other side of fear. This is the thing. People often say, I don't want to be a burden. I don't want to bother people with me. Yes. If you do offer your troubles to somebody, you are privileging them. You're doing them a favor because you're saying to them, I esteem you with sufficient depth and integrity to ask you to hold my problems for a little while as delicately as a mean vase and I believe that you're capable of doing that now who doesn't want to be told that they are trusted with doing that so it's a wonderful thing it's that it's the same principle as it's only by giving that you receive I do believe very strongly that there's for most of us there's a much better life than the one that we've been putting up with and it's within our destiny to find it you're going to have to be brave and you're going to have to reach for it you might have to read some uncomfortable books. You might have to have some uncomfortable therapy. You might have to have all kinds of uncomfortable things happen. But, you know, without discomfort, there is often no growth. I'm just reminded at my Quentin play, he says, life will be more difficult if you try to become yourself. But avoiding this difficulty renders life meaningless. Give me difficulty any day. Mark, where can we get hold of you to book to see you perform or to find out about your schedule? What are your links, please? So my schedule is on my website, which is uh, markfarrelly.co.uk. The best place to see me doing Quentin, if you're in London, is at the Greenwich Theatre on the 10th and 11th of July. And I'm also doing the Patrick Hamilton play at Brasserie's Adele in Piccadilly on the 5th of August. But there's lots and lots of tour dates on the website and all my social media is mark farrelly uk brilliant and that's all we have time for but for more positive psychology exercises check out my youtube channel dr audrey tang tools to thrive visit my website www.draudreyt.com where you can also purchase copies of my books or alternatively join me on nlive radio tuesdays 9 p.m in the well-being lounge